Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Welcome, everyone, to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, and it is the second podcast of the uh, of the new format, I guess, the best way to describe it. So thank you for joining me. I, um, I'm going to get to all of the news here um, a little bit later on. It'll probably be um, in the last half hour. I'm going to run the show for two hours today. Just because I, I didn't get to cover nearly what I wanted to cover in the first episode. Now, in the first episode of um, the We Are Not Cattle podcast, I described my awakening and and what uh, what transpired through my friend Tim and I, and how I got turned on to the information, and then I was basically turned loose after a couple of years of just wanting to know more and more about how the world works. So. I started on my my little journey, started my show, and um, and now here I am trying to break down everything that that I've learned over the last four and a half years, and trying to condense that into an hour and a half. So it's very difficult, and you kind of don't know where to start. Now, where I left off was I was talking about um, about how everybody has their own little womb. Now, whether it's you know the womb that you get right after you right after you are born you get a womb that is that is a kind of virtual and your and your parents feed that womb so they're there to protect you they're there to take care of you those types of things and then when you get older you still have that need for the womb at least a lot of us do and so what happens and that's through conditioning and stuff through the through the um public school system and once again you know my mom was a public school teacher for 35 years it's not a it's not a diabolical plan from the teachers but when the Rockefeller Foundation and Ford Foundation write the curriculum and then you centralize the education practice of this country that's which is a a communist plank by the way once you have centralized education and central banking that's another plank of the communist manifesto once you start doing that, then you can control the narrative. And if you guys do remember this, and you can probably Google search it, there was a time when Barack Obama was calling for the fact that we don't need to teach kids history past World War II. So present-day history only. And I was listening to Alex Jones yesterday, and I heard Larry Pinckney, who was the um, who was one of the original Black Panthers, um, not the co-opted Black Panthers that always get demonized by... Um, mainstream media and um, documentary, not documentary films, but you know, films where the Black Panthers are this evil group. They were actually very peaceful, and um, and so what he talked about in in the in the interview that I thought was um, was was very profound was talking about how we we all need to unite with one another, and we need to get past these arbitrary. Differences, because we are going to have differences. 
we're, I mean, we're going to have difference of opinion. You're going to have a difference of opinion as to far as what I tell you today. You're going to say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I think we can all kind of align and say that, hey, let's let's at least, at least unite under the Bill of Rights Constitution, and then we can build from there. Because what we've seen now in in our day and age, in the in the modern age, I guess, is that you have people that are completely completely self-absorbed. They're in their own womb, and their womb is consistent of mainstream media, popular culture, sports, those types of things. And so they they very rarely venture outside of their womb. It makes them very uncomfortable. And that's one of the things that we have to penetrate. And we have to penetrate everybody's individual, you can call it the womb, you can call it the bubble, but everybody that lives in America knows what I'm talking about. You have this individual sheath that you live in where you will accept or reject. It's like you run your your own little hypothesis um, randomly with your supercomputer, which is your brain, and you just simply uh, accept or you know reject the hypothesis every time you hear it. So what I am here to do is just present you with information. What you do with that information is up to you. Whether you believe the information, I really don't care. It's all documented. It has all been vetted. It is there for your understanding and for your enlightenment. Whether you choose to be enlightened or not, that's not my issue. I am just here talking to you as a fellow human trying to explain to you what we're in right now. And these are some really exciting times to live. We have absolute chaos going on in the White House. Um, The press secretary is doing damage control saying none of these are scandals, which is absolutely ridiculous. But like I said, I'll get into all the, the news later. So we left off with me describing the internal awakening, um, my friend's awakenings, and then I went on to discuss the the world agenda, which is a depopulation agenda, and that's not me saying this, guys. This is actually from the Club of Rome and stuff like that. They have actually made statements that I read a couple of times over on my last show talking about how the human race was so were so myopic in the fact that we can't control ourselves. So they believe as the the smarter human beings on the planet that it is their job to control us from destroying the earth. And what they do is by utilizing what's called a um a death rate increase. You can control population, but once again, this is all what they talked about in the last show. I'm just kind of recapping for everybody so everybody knows where we are at in the um, in the journey. You can either control the birth rate of how many people are born like they do in China with a one-child policy and what have you. Or you can control the death rate, which is through war, famine, starvation, things like that. So they've already made the decision back in the in the 50s to go ahead with the depopulation agenda via the death rate control. And they say that it's for the earth because, once again, we can't be trusted. And what the big myth on overpopulation is, is that we're going to be overpopulated. But what you see in Western cultures is that the replacement rates are going down. And I know I talk about this a lot, but this you know, this is one of those things that you have to talk about it and get the meme out there because of, these are the facts. 
just like if you create the meme <clears throat> if you create the meme that you know the tea partiers were being demonized and that came out two and a half years ago I think Infowars wrote an article about that two and a half years ago about how tea partiers were being targeted by the IRS and stuff like that and it actually comes out you know um, a couple of years later now why does that happen I'm going to get into all of that later so now I'm going to try to break down what's going on here in the United States and what has happened. I went from a historical perspective, and then I kind of got cut when I was talking to my friend Robert that called into the show. And he he runs his own uh, podcast called The Journalistic Revolution. It's on Blog Talk Radio. You can just Google it and find it. And they're they're very good, and they're um they're actually really funny too. But uh, they're open source journalists, so. Basically, if you have a an article that you wanted to write as a as a independent media outlet, you send them their art your article, and they will go through and fact check it to make sure that all your sources line up, and to make sure that you are actually stating facts rather than just going on talking points, which we all have to worry about too. In this era of controlled media as well as smokescreen media that's going on all over the place. So here goes. And I don't have any notes, so this is all kind of free form. So try to follow the bouncing ball of logic here. I'm going to start with the financial side of things. And then I'm going to get into what transpired over the last 20 years that that is really making this country um, obsolete. And you'll see what I mean when I say obsolete a little bit later. In 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was signed into law, which put the Federal Reserve, which is an independent agency, it's not an agency of government, it is an independent agency, in charge of the currency and credit of our nation. And what that means is that they can actually have taxes serve as debt. So when you get your tax return that is, quote-unquote, you think it's a return when you actually get money back from the government, you're not getting any money back. That's money you've already paid in, and they just give it back to you in good faith. And they've already stolen it through uh, inflation. So they've already stolen a little bit of your money. And inflation is the process of adding money to the money supply, which will devalue whatever said currency you're talking about. So here's a prime example. Let's say that um in just a very short theory, we'll just we'll just use $100. Let's say that the entire purchasing power of the world is $100 and an apple is everywhere is a, a penny. So it doesn't matter where you go around to, an apple is a penny. Now, let's say that you want to add a little bit more to the money supply. Let's say that you want more people are calling for more purchasing power. So what you do is you add more money. Let's say that now it's $200. So now the apple that used to be a penny, the ratio is going to remain the same. It's going to remain the same. So now your apple will cost you two pennies. Nothing changed as far as the product goes, and nothing changed as far as your penny goes. It didn't change physically. It just changed with the amount of purchasing power that you have. And that's why having a private bank group uh, issue your currency and credit 
is very, very scary because there is supposed to be congressional oversight. But then once again, when Congress asks to see who got banker bailouts and so forth, um, they're denied and they actually don't have to be shown it because the Fed is an independent agency. So now we're going to travel a little bit forward in time. Actually, let me go ahead and play this clip. Just because I, I think that people really need to understand this, and if you're a liberty-minded person, you already know this, so you can kind of go ahead and switch off. But um, here is Alan Greenspan talking about the Federal Reserve and the relationship between presidents. Now, once again, the Federal Reserve is a private institution, so here is what Alan Greenspan has to say, and this is just once again, I'm just trying to add validity and kind of and kind of crystallize this idea for people that don't really don't really get it. What should be the proper relationship between a chairman of the Fed and a president of the United States? Well, first of all, the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, and that means basically that uh, there is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. So long as that is in place and there is no evidence that the administration or the Congress or anybody else is uh, requesting that we do things other than what we think is the appropriate thing, then what the relationships are uh, don't frankly matter. And uh, I've had uh, very good relationships with the President. Mm-hmm. So once again, it is an independent agency. Now, how does the how does this banking system work? Obviously, the Fed controls our currency and credit. So what happens? How does how does how does our nation get money? How does all this stuff happen? Well, I've got a whole bunch of clips here to kind of explain this. And here is a clip on fractional reserve lending. And this won't talk about the currency and credit that the United States gets. This just talks about the actual system itself and how it's structured. Now, back in the olden days, the quote-unquote olden days, the golden days, if you will, the currency was actually backed by physical. So you could actually have physical um, currency backed. So it would either – like. Uh, um, uh, Lincoln had the uh, silverback dollar, so you actually had some kind of commodity backing the the dollar. And so what it would do is it would basically keep the the industry or the private bank from going out of control because they were limited with how much that they could actually put into circulation. So they found a way around that, and what they did was using a process called fractional reserve lending, and in essence, all they would have to do is have 10% of whatever they lent out uh, in their coffers. So if you go to a banking institution currently, and let's say that that bank has lent out um, – uh, uh, I belong to a credit union. So my credit union has, uh, last month lent out um, $100,000, just a nice round number, to all individuals via what have you. What they did is they actually only need, according to according to banking laws currently, they only need um, 10% of that on hand in order to pay debts. So that would mean that they have um, $10,000 in the bank. 
and the other um, $90,000 can be used to be loaned out again. So here is a clip on fractional reserve lending. This is a clip from uh, Bill Still's movie. Um, I think it's called uh, The Secrets of Oz, and uh, I highly recommend it. You can find it on my website under the Documentaries tab. Anytime you go to my website, wearenotcattle.net, please check out the documentaries. Those are the ones that have awakened me, and I think that they're very informative. They're definitely worth an hour and a half of your life to go and watch and to educate yourself and to, once again, try to understand where we're at and where we're going because if you look at what's going on around you and don't don't listen to the background noise of the mainstream media – we are in a very challenging situation with all the debt and what have you. So here is the clip on the fractional reserve lending, and then on the backside, I'm going to get into what is really crushing our society currently. So what is the national debt? When government spends more than it collects in taxes, it has to borrow the difference by selling interest-bearing IOUs, such as U.S. bonds. When a U.S. bank buys a $100 U.S. bond, it gets to loan out 10 times that amount. So the bank not only gets back the $100 plus interest from the federal government, it gets to loan out another $1,000 it doesn't have and charge additional interest. Banks are allowed to create this extra money out of thin air. So, banks aren't making only 6% interest, for example. They are really making over 1,000% interest. That's why bank buildings are the biggest in every town on the planet. This system of lending way more than you have is called fractional reserve lending. Almost all our money is created by banks, lending it to people, to companies, or to government. Yes, that is correct. So we actually do, as a private banking group, or the excuse me, the Federal Reserve as a private banking group, they actually loan money to um, to our government and other governments. Um, if you remember back in the um, in the couple of months ago with the EU bailouts, uh, the Federal Reserve was involved in that bailing out uh, the euro, and it's just to prop up the system. So. You run into a lot of different things that are happening here. Once again, they're creating money out of nothing. When you walk into a car dealership and you want a $10,000 car loan and you get approved at 6%, that loan is just ones and zeros into a computer. They do not go and create a new $10,000 for you. They just create ones and zeros. And then you pay on good faith that those... That phantom $10,000 is actually there, which it's not. It's just, once again, it's it's the left-hand side of the ledger versus the right-hand side of the ledger. It's not there. So why does this matter? Why does, why does banking matter, Jake? Well, once again, there's, there's this age-old question. Whoever controls the money... Or this, you know, whoever controls the money controls the world, correct? But then if you take it a step further, who creates the money? Those are the ones that really control the world. And this is not conspiracy theory. This is this is how the world works. I'm sorry. Once again, humans don't go to war with other humans. Governments go to war with other governments. 
So as you go up and up the echelon, the human element is pulled out of everything. And it's always for the greater good. Once again, they're killing you because of the greater good, because of if we don't kill you, you guys are so dumb that you'll overpopulate the earth and then we'll all die. And that's the way that they see it. Because they're, they're smarter than you. At least that's what they think. So why is this so bad, Jake? Why is this so bad to have a private bank? Because that makes sense that you don't want to have your country you know, inflating your own currency, even though that's what the Constitution says, is that we, the power of the purse resides in Congress. And it just shows you how far we've fallen from our core values as a nation and what made us so prosperous. You know, we had 10% growth in this country every year. When we first started out until we got central banking, 10% growth. That's absolutely phenomenal. But anyway, that's a side issue. So you could make the argument of, well, there should be a separate entity so your your country doesn't go ahead and start you know, pumping money into the system and and inflating the currency on its on its own behalf. But here is where you run into a problem. When you're getting a loan from a private bank and you are a nation state, you're actually creating debt out of nothing and then tying on that debt with interest. And this is very, very important because what we see now out of the modern-day empires are not countries, basically. Their corporations and banks are the new empires, and it just so happens that these corporations and banks are located here in the United States, like the IMF and the World Bank. I mean, excuse me, I think the, I think the IMF is located here. I'm sorry. I know the World Bank is, which is ridiculous. And then you have the International Bank of Settlements, which is at the very, very top of the pyramid, which is the ones that, um, that Prescott Bush used to um, funnel the money to the Nazis. You can actually look that up. That's in uh, that's in Jim Moore's book, the uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich. He documents that really well. And he talks also about how they would never be able to bomb um, uh, plants that were uh, Ford plants and stuff like that. That were you know U.S. corporations making tanks. They were never allowed to bomb those buildings, even though the bombers knew that that's who they were making the tanks. Once again, it was it was the elite of the world. Dictating to government what you can do. So that was all a side issue. Sorry about that. And kind of trailed off. But just interesting stuff to read and then start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Very, very, very intriguing. So what you have is you have a private institution loaning us money, which doesn't seem like a bad idea. I can get that. But when you have interest on top of that, once again, that $10,000 that they create in the left-hand ledger does not account for interest. So where does the in, so where does the money to pay off the interest come from? Well, that's why you have perpetual debt because you have to keep printing the money because there's not enough money in the money supply to account for the interest that you have created through creating that one loan. So here is um, another clip from Bill Still, and then um, I've got two more clips just on just on the uh, the financial side of things, and then I'm going to transition into how um, economics. And mineral grabs have actually been used to transition from global empire, or excuse me, from what people would think of as a, a nation-state empire to a to a corporate private empire, which is what we face now. Which is 
even scarier than a bunch of nation states running around. So here is the clip from Bill Still, and he's talking about how the interest on the debt is what kills us because we can never make up any ground. Well, it's no secret to any American that we're living in very precarious times. Americans are being robbed blind, and they don't even know who's doing the robbing. I mean, we clearly are you know, in a bus, and we're heading for the edge of a cliff. And there still is probably time to change course. The only problem is the people driving the bus don't realize that there's a cliff there yet. If the problem that's uh, grinding the economy to a halt is too much debt, and if nobody in the government in either party is looking at solving the debt problem, then the answer is it's going to go uh, to, into a depression as far as the eye can see. And so we're going to have a massive, massive uh, recession, or let's call it a depression, while the economy rebalances away from a service sector economy towards a good producing economy, away from a borrow and spend economy to a save and produce economy. That's what we need to do. We can't get from where we are to where we need to be without a severe depression. What can government do? The sad answer is, under our current monetary system, nothing. It's not going to get any better until the root cause of the problem is understood and addressed. There isn't enough stimulus money in the entire world to get us out of this hole. Why? Debt. The national debt is just like our consumer debt. It's the interest that's killing us. So that's another clip from the, that documentary, but he really does touch on everything, what what all these problems are. And then you'll have politicians running around talking about how we need to reduce spending. And the what they do, I don't know if you guys are familiar with how congressional budgets operate, but they do have a built-in um, marker. And I think that it's 8% per year that they have built in for uh, increased spending. So when they talk about how they're going to decrease spending over 10 years, they're not talking about reducing any of the spending currently. They're just going to reduce the amount of spending they do in the future. And once again, that's off of the 8% per year annual growth rate that they have. So you can see how politicians will play games with the public and make it sound like they're doing the right thing, when in reality they're not doing anything. They're they're just going along with the system, just hoping that everything's going to work out. Once again, I, I talk about this as well. You can't sit in your house and hope for liberty and hope for freedom. You can't do it. If you sit in your house and you don't talk to anybody and you just think that if I don't think about it, it's not going to be there, then then we've already lost. The whole purpose of this show is to educate you and then get you fired up to go out and do something or to go out and educate yourself or to at least get that that magic ball bouncing where you where you want to understand this information. You want to find out what's going on in the world. And believe me, I understand sports and stuff like that is a great distraction, but look at it as that. Look at it as a distraction. The sad thing is, is that the majority of Americans could probably repeat all the statistics of their favorite baseball, football basketball player team what have you even know who their their college team is recruiting for or from high school and talk about how fast they are and how big they are and what they can do but the fact of the matter is is that you have no idea how our governmental process works and you have no idea what's going on all around you you probably haven't figured out why there's so many police on the street and I'll get into that later it's part of an entire just panopticon of craziness. 
because everywhere you go, there is a private interest backing it. Privatization is what's destroying this country. Privatization of the prisons, privatization of all of these things. And then you have governmental bodies like Child Protective Services and and other things like that that actually pay people to drug kids up. So I trailed off on there for a little bit. But here is what the Atlanta Federal Reserve chairman said about the Federal Reserve System. And this is one of their own. This is one of the guys that actually worked within the system. And what he said is he left office. And this is a short clip. And I'm just going to bombard you guys with clips because I think they're fun. I get tired of sitting there listening to my voice, so I think they're fun to have a change of pace. So here is the the clip from the Atlanta chairman of the Federal Reserve System and talking about how it is the most important thing for the American public and people around the world to understand, and that is the banking system. And you're never taught banking in public education. Gee, I wonder why. You might get some little economic classes or something like that, but it's never going to go into fiscal policy and how these things get laid out and who runs everything. You don't have to – I remember learning in history class that the Fed was a private bank, but it didn't really dawn on me how dangerous that was. I was just looking for the answer to pass the test, and which is what's going on now with our educational system. So I'm going to um, I'm going to play this clip, and I've got one other clip revolving around the economic side of things, which Rand Paul or excuse me Ron Paul talked about how the grand experiment of total fiat money might be coming to a close, and I believe it's coming to a close. So here is the clip on the Federal Reserve system from the uh, Atlanta head of the Federal Reserve. Seventy-five years ago, an employee of the Atlanta Federal Reserve explained the importance of the debt money system and how it can strangle our economy. Someone has to borrow every dollar we have in circulation. If the banks create ample money, we are prosperous. If not, we starve. When one gets a complete grasp of the picture, the tragic absurdity of our hopeless position is incredible. It is the most important subject intelligent persons can investigate and reflect upon. It is the most important subject that intelligent persons can investigate and reflect upon. Do you ever hear people talking about the Federal Reserve other than libertarians? That we're all screaming from the top of the mountains going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, stop it. Stop the madness. Stop the craziness. No. Because people will muddle through anything. We're, we're a very resilient species. I mean, if you think about how we've actually gotten to this point of evolution, and we're at a very fledgling stage of evolution, as far as how we conduct ourselves, how we respect other humans, how we respect the environments, we're at a very fledgling stage. We're at, we are probably not even walking if you were looking at it from a enlightened perspective of a species. We need to get up on our hind legs and we need to start moving towards the right direction, which is going to be reducing these monopolies that are costing people lives. One of the biggest drivers for me doing my radio show is that I think it's absolute crud that 24,000 people a day die from starvation. 
I think that that's crud. Around the world, 24,000 people, that's like filling a sports stadium and blowing it up every day. Get that image in your head, and then maybe you'll you'll start to understand. That's tragic. Those are people. They have lives. Not like when our government says, oh, we killed a bunch of insurgents today, or oh, we, we eliminated one terrorist, and there was you know 11 people of collateral damage from the missile that we shot into them at Pakistan. Those are human beings. They're not collateral damage. Those are humans. Could you imagine what this country would be like if you had just drones flying around every day and then randomly shooting missiles into people's houses? We would go absolutely bonkers. But if we do it for other countries, you know, if we do it to other countries, this is what we get. And I hate to be cynical about it, but that's what we get. You have to get off the bandwagon that this country that you live in is out for your interest because it's not. This country that you live in is now owned and operated by bankers and corporations. How do I know this? Because the banks control the issuancy of current and credit around the world. And slowly but surely, we're starting to see corporations control the natural resources around the world. Just look into who owns water. The most coveted resource on the planet, less than 2% of water on the planet, it's actually drinkable water. Look into who owns water and who's buying water. That is incredible. Humans are privatizing water and then going to sell them to the population Basically controlling who lives and dies, depending on how much they want to increase their bottom line. That's sick. That should piss you off. And then they're going to sit up there and lecture you about how we need to do more with less. While they're selling the water, and this is – you guys can go watch the Conspiracy Theory episode with Jesse Ventura on his YouTube channel. I watched most of it last night, and I just had to turn it off. I knew all about it, but I mean it was just absolutely sick. But in America, if you can get to – and this is – there's a guy in Texas, and I can't remember his name, but he's some billionaire, and he made his billions off of oil, and now he's going to make his billions off of water. And he thinks it's fine. Yeah, I'm making money. I mean, that's fine. Hey, you know, you got to pay me for the for the water. You you think that – and he even says, he goes, well, if you think that water should be free, he goes, you're going to drown or you're going you're gonna to die of thirst because it ain't free. How how cynical is that? Like, dude, are you serious? You're gonna control who lives and dies just because you wanna make you wanna make money? That's sick. That is absolutely sick. So here is what um here is what Ron Paul says about the, the fiat money. And then after this, I'm gonna make sure I don't have any other um have any other clips. No, I don't. After this, I'm going to get into the corporate takeover of the United States and what this is doing to us as a nation. And I'm going to talk about the takeover at every level. I'm going to talk about the takeover from the minerals. I'm going to talk about the takeover of <clears throat> the prison systems. I'm going to talk about the takeover of everything. Everything's being privatized. I'm going to talk about the, the health care takeover that's, that's used – they leverage government – into the big insurance companies mandating that you buy insurance. 
it's all corporate takeovers. This is not your 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 father's um, nation state anymore. There is no more nationalism unless we get this stuff under control. Unless we curtail, curtail the corporations, we're all in deep, deep trouble because corporations don't give a flying rip about you. They care about bottom line profits. They really don't. I'm sorry to say it, but you know what? Even though Johnson & Johnson says they're a family company, that family company would assume rip you off and watch you die from contamination with bleach or what have you and get your money than try to protect you. They are not in it for your interest. Neither is government. They are not in it for your interest. They are in it for the special interests, which are the corporations and the private investors who lobby to get banker bailouts like Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, just absolute sick stuff. So here's Ron Paul on the grand experiment of total fiat money and why it could come crashing down. And then we're going to have to pick up the pieces after these guys absolutely shred the economy and start making their money on the way out. I think what we're witnessing today is the end stages of a grand experiment, a philosophic experiment on total fiat money. Yes, they've been debasing currencies for hundreds if not thousands of years, and they always end badly. They always return to market-based money, which is commodity money, gold and silver. But this experiment is something different than we've ever had before, and it started in 1971 where we were actually given an opportunity in many ways to be the issuer of the fiat currency, and we had way too many benefits from that than uh, people realized. But it's gone on for 40 years, and people keep arguing from the other side of this argument that it's working, it's doing well. And yet, from my viewpoint and the viewpoint of the free market economists, all it's doing is building a bigger and bigger bubble. And uh, the free market economists were the ones who predicted the Nasdaq bubble, the housing bubbles, but we never hear from the Keynesian liberal economists and the central bankers and saying, watch out, there's, there's a bubble out there, there's uh, too much credit, too many problems there, there's a housing bubble, we have to deal with it. Usually we get reassurance from the Fed on that. So... Once again, he's talking about the private Federal Reserve having all this power because they do. They can issue the currency and credit to our nation, and they can also, since they're an independent agency, can issue the currency and credit to other nations. And where this really becomes tricky is what happens on top of that, above that. Let's now change our focus to the World Bank and what they do and the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Since the late 50s, the United States inserted Kermit Roosevelt into the nation state of Iran. Kermit Roosevelt was a CIA operative. His uh, goal was to destabilize the nation of Iran and overthrow Mohammad Mosaddegh, who wanted to nationalize the oil supply of Iran because Iran was not getting a lot of money for their deal with the United States to produce oil. Remember, um, Kissinger came in uh, a little bit later and got the Saudis to sign on to T-bills. But um, the initial problem with um, with Mosaddegh was, uh, was British Petroleum. I think it was something – I think it was Dutch – was it Royal Shell back then or something – but uh, British Petroleum was actually um, owned and operated by the royal family, and I think it still is to some point um, to this day. But 
they didn't like the deal that was struck with the with the English or the British. And so what they did was they started to change the idea and they said that we're going to nationalize this so that our nation can actually prosper and make more money rather than the I think it was 17% that they were getting on actual producing actually producing the oil in their own country. So the United States thought that well, you know, we can't have we can't have Iran stand up. We have to have control because the United States and the UK, you guys will see this. They'll always be hand in hand and they'll very rarely step on each other's toes. They are allies to the extreme. And they're allies because the private corporate banking interests are both located here in the in the United States uh in in Washington DC and um through the Federal Reserve System and they're also um the um the Bank of England which is in the city state of London once again both of both of which are completely separate from their own nations which is absolutely crazy you got to look into that also and you know Washington DC has its own set of rules regulations what have you and, and so does the city state of London so After we insert Kermit Roosevelt, he goes over there and starts uh, stirring up trouble, hiring people. And I covered this all in my False Flags episode, if you guys want to check that out. Stirring up trouble, protests, you know, hiring the protesters, getting them, transporting the protesters in there to to give the the, the vestigial facade that that the population is completely upset with Mosaddegh, which he was democratically elected, and it was uh, he was actually loved by the society because of the the changes he wanted to make for the for the betterment of Iran. So we actually get success, or I say we, excuse me, the the global crime syndicate gets success. They remove Mosaddegh and they put in the Shah. The Shah is very friendly to the United States in London and returns the deal back. And doesn't privatize anything. So he plays ball. Good for him. So now fast forwarding. The reason I set that up is because that was the first real incident where empire or a government could look at it and say, you know, instead of going and bombing people, we can actually go and manipulate them through um, little proxies, which is exactly what's going on in Syria right now. If some of that sounds familiar. It's exactly what's going on in Syria. And exactly what happened in Libya, where um, Gaddafi said that he wanted to start trading gold in, uh, or excuse me, trading oil in gold or the euro. So one of those two, but still, once again, leaving the U.S. backed or the um, the the U.S. dollar, which is um, which is backed by oil, and that's why uh, U.S. corporations are so giddy to control the oil supply because that will control the amount um, of stability that the dollar has around the world which is slowly deteriorating as you start to see this. So, in the 1970s, I read this book, and you guys have to read it, and I'm halfway through his second book. Um, his name is John Perkins. I'm actually trying to get him on the show. Hopefully, I'll have him on the on the podcast here um, towards the, the end of the summer. And if I do, I will give a, a super build-up for it because he's just so fascinating. But I've got clips of his interview with um, with Democracy Now!, and you guys need to go check out the full interview. It's on there. I'm going to play um, clips of it. I've probably got, um, I think, like 15 minutes maybe of his uh, of his interview, maybe a little bit more. And uh, the entire interview is like 45 minutes long. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a clip, and I'm going to elaborate on what's going on. And because I've, I've read that his first book, which is Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which – 
which describes how uh, large corporations, uh, the World Bank and the IMF, all collude together in order to go into countries, provide them with loans that they can never pay back, and then sign them on to outrageous amounts of debt. So enslaving them on the debt side of things and then utilizing that as a leverage for either political gain, uh, mineral grabs, or just uh, command and control of re natural resources. So it really hits to the heart of what we're facing, and this is why you will never see on MSNBC, Fox, any of those things, you will never see corporations be attacked for their tactics across seas. I mean, if you look at the sweatshops and, and look at the um, the collapse that happened over um, over in Asia, gosh, I cannot remember where it happened. I'm so sorry, guys. It's, I haven't had enough coffee this morning. But you will never see anybody really criticize that from the United States. If you do see it, they'll never get into uh, public view because those – CNN, Fox, they're all controlled by large corporations and governments too. So it works both ways. You you have a propaganda ministry which basically is bought and paid for by large corporate interests and and um and governments because um and you can actually look this up. Amber Lyon had a uh, a piece that she was doing uh about Bahrain and talking about the absolute criminality of the government there repressing the people and what have you. And then she goes to run the piece on CNN International, and they cut the piece and then go to some they, – they run it once, and then they go to some puff piece that was actually sponsored by the country, and it was the complete opposite of what was going on. So that's when she figured out what was going on, and, and it goes on everywhere. There's too much money involved is what I try to explain to people. There's too much money, and we're not worth the money, and that's it. So here is one part of the Confessions of an Economic Hitman interview with John Perkins where he talks about his, his dealings with uh, other governments. We economic hitmen really have been the ones responsible for creating this first truly global empire, and we work many different ways. But perhaps the most common is that we will identify a a country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil, and then arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations. But the money never actually goes to the country. Instead, it goes to our big corporations to build infrastructure projects in that country, power plants, industrial parks, ports, things that benefit a few rich people in that country, in addition to our corporations but really don't help the majority of the people at all. However, those people, the whole country is left holding a huge debt. It's such a big debt they can't repay it, and that's part of the plan, that they can't repay it. And so at some point, we economic hitmen go back to them and say, listen, you lost a lot of money, can't pay your debt, so sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies. Allow us to build a military base in your country or send troops in support of ours to some place in the world like Iraq or vote with us on the next UN vote to have their electric utility company privatized and their water and sewage system privatized and sold to U.S. corporations or other multinational corporations. So there's a whole mushrooming thing, and it's so typical of the way the IMF and the World Bank work. If you put a country in debt, it's such a big debt it can't pay it, and then you offer to refinance that debt, and it pay even more interest. And you demand this quid pro quo, which you call a conditionality or good governance, which means basically that they've got to sell off their resources 
including many of their social services, their utility companies, their school systems sometimes, their, their, their penal systems, their insurance systems, to foreign corporations. So it's a, it's a double, triple, quadruple whammy. So that kind of lays the groundwork for what what is going on around the world. The IMF and World Bank, just like he said, go over to other nations and they actually sign these countries onto these big loans. And then they actually don't ever get to see the spoils from any of these loans. It's, you know, we're going to give you a couple of billion dollars to create your infrastructure, do all this stuff. And instead of giving the money to local organizations, they actually just bring in they bring in giant corporations to do the infrastructure build-out for them. So the, so the nation-state itself never touches, never touches that money. None of the, excuse me, none of the private corporations that are in that nation-state or construction firms or anything ever get to touch that money. It is all funneled back to international corporations. And once again, international corporations don't care about you, I, that nation-state. They don't care. They care about bottom line profit. And that's why I think that the Occupy Wall Street people were very misunderstood. They had a great idea. You just had a terrible way of delivering it. You have a great idea by going and processing Wall Street, and that's part of the problem. Of course, you know the banking system is part of it, and the financial sector is part of it. But these large construction firms and corporations, the ones that go over and, and have the the mega contracts – with these governments and then basically bribe the politicians by saying, listen, if you sign this deal, we're going to give you like $3 million. Your family's going to be set. You're going to live in a palace. We're going to put armed guards around you and everything like that. And your population is going to be hosed. Now, a couple of people have stood up to John Perkins when he was going over there to make his deals. And they didn't turn out so well. If you don't play ball, it doesn't turn out so well for you. If you do not play ball against the global crime syndicate, it is not going to turn out well for you. So here's the next clip from his um, his interview, and um, and then I'm going to expand on this a little bit more on the backside. The precedent for economic hitmen really began back in the early 50s when democratically elected Mossadegh, who was elected in Iran, he was considered to be the hope for democracy in the Middle East and around the world. He was Time Magazine's Man of the Year. But one of the things that he'd run on and began to implement was the idea that foreign oil companies needed to pay the Iranian people a lot more for the oil that they were taking out of Iran. The Iranian people should benefit from their own oil. Silly <laughs> you. We didn't like that, of course. But we were afraid to do what we normally were doing, which was to send in the military. Instead, we sent in one CIA agent, Kermit Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's relative. And Kermit went in with a few million dollars and was very, very effective and efficient. And in a short amount of time, he managed to get Mossadegh overthrown and brought in the Shah of Iran to replace him, who always was favorable to oil. And it was extremely effective. Bombs overflow Tehran. Army officers shout that Mossadegh has surrendered and his regime as virtual dictator of Iran is ended. Pictures of the Shah paraded through the streets as sediment reverses. The Shah is welcomed home. So back here in the United States, uh, in Washington, people looked around and said, wow, that was easy and cheap. So this established a whole new way of manipulating countries, of, of creating empire. 
only problem with Roosevelt was that he was a card-carrying CIA agent, and had he been caught, the ramifications could have been pretty serious. So very quickly at that point, the decision was made to use private consultants to, to, to channel the money through the World Bank or the IMF or one of the other such agencies, to bring in people like me who worked for private companies. So that if we got caught, there would be no governmental ramifications. When Arbenz became president of Guatemala, the country was very much under the thumbs of United Fruit Company, the, the big international corporations. And Arbenz ran on the sticker that says, you know, we want to get the land back to the people. And once he took power, he was he was implementing policies that would that would do exactly that, give the land rights back to the people. United Fruit didn't like that very much. And so they hired a public relations firm, launched a huge campaign in the United States to convince the United States, the people, the citizens of the United States, and the press of the United States, and the Congress of the United States, that Arbenz was a Soviet puppet. And that if we allowed him to stay in power, the Soviets would have a foothold in this, uh, in this hemisphere. And that, at, at that point in time, was a huge fear on everybody's mind, the red terror, the communist terror. And so, to make a long story short, out of this public relations campaign came a commitment on the part of the CIA and the military to take this man out. And in fact, we did. We sent in planes, we sent in, we sent in soldiers, we sent in jackals, we sent everything in to take him out, and did take him out. And as soon as he was removed from office, the new guy that took over after him basically reinstated everything to the big international corporations, including United Fruit. And that's how they do it. Once again, this is um, this is not your father's nation state anymore. Once again, the United States, as we see it, doesn't exist anymore. The only thing that exists, it's just like out of um, the network. The only thing that exists are Shell and IBM and those types of things. Because if you look at the way that Washington runs, Washington runs off of lobbyists, and lobbyists are run by the special interests. So therefore, the special interests run this country, which is a form of fascism, where you have corporations and big government getting together to set laws and regulations that will benefit them. It's fascism. It's, But it's even more than that. It's not just America that's involved in this. It's a global crime syndicate that's all tied together. And when I say that, I am not being facetious. These guys are criminals. They're absolute criminals. What else would you call somebody that loans a person money other than like a gangster? What would you call somebody that loans somebody money and says, hey, if you don't do what we say, we're going to kill you? Not if you don't pay our debt back. If you don't do what we say with this money, we're going to kill you. And they do it in no uncertain terms because the governments have figured out that over the nation states you can have the corporations – and Jefferson warned us about this kind of stuff. That the corporations would grow up and your land would be conquered on the um, – that your children would find themselves conquered on a land that, their foref uh, that your forefathers grew up in. Now, I just really misquoted that, but I'll pull it up during this next, um, this next clip. But it's true. The corporations have grown up around the private banking industry, and now – through the private banking industry and the corporations, governments can actually manipulate and build empires like we have done here in the United States. Build empires without even really using violence, invasion, or anything like that. 
because it's subversion now. You send in a group to go in, infiltrate a country. Like Kermit Roosevelt was a prime example of subversion. You go in there, you stir everything up, and that you get the actual outcome that you want minus the actual physical confrontation. And the way they do that is through money manipulation and bribes and stuff like that. Those things still go on, guys. And I know that the mainstream media makes it seem like that, that uh, Wall Street can never do any wrong because they're funded by them as well. You know, GE owns just about everything in the world, or at least they have a foothold into everything in the world. So they're going to have a very, very large say into what propaganda comes out in the United States. Now, it's funny. I met a guy yesterday, and we were talking about all this stuff. It's amazing that when you strike up conversations with people, some people are actually awake and they know a lot of things, and some people are actually just very inquisitive. And this guy was pretty inquisitive to me when I was talking to him about, you know, in the 1950s about just basically what John Perkins just went through in that whole clip. And then I also explained to him that these large corporations are what the real challenge is because there's so many people tied to the large corporations that if you don't have a way to put a uh, a cap on these people, then the the nation states that we see now will not exist in about 10 years. You will just have Google as a nation. You will have um, uh, Amazon will be a country, those types of things. Because it won't matter. They'll be so manipulated by that point. If you go, if you even go five more years into this corrupt cycle, we're going to be so far down the rabbit hole, we might not be able to pull out. But the great news is, is that people around the world are waking up, and people around the world are not buying the official story. So the actual meme is shifting from a meme of denial to a meme of, well, yeah, maybe these, maybe there is something to this because we see that with Bilderberg. And it was funny when I was working at this sales organization. I won't even mention the company, but I did have a couple of of um, run-ins with the CEO that uh, I caught him off guard, and it was funny. I'll tell the story here in a second. But um, I was working for this company, and. And Bilderberg was coming out. This was about three and a half years ago. Bilderberg was coming out. And this is when I first started working for it. And it was a very young, um, young populace at this organization. So anybody knows me knows what company I'm talking about. Um, and so these are you know 25 to 26 year old or 25 to 23 year old kids. It's their first real sales job, and I was one of the senior sales reps there. And so I was talking to the kids. I was saying, you know, hey. Uh, you know, I'm getting excited. He, um, I've got um, there's a bunch of coverage on Bilderberg this week, and they're like, "What's that?" And I would tell them, "I'm like, it's it's um, it's a hundred plus of the top most powerful people in the world getting together and discussing policy." And they're like, "I don't believe that. What's it called again?" And I said, and I told them, and so they went and they Googled it and Wikipedia it, and they're like, "They say that it doesn't exist. That it's a conspiracy theory." And I said, "Let me explain something to you." A hundred of the top most powerful people in the world don't clear their schedule for four days to go talk about pancakes and ice cream and how to make a great souffle. They don't exchange recipes. They're not there to play patty cake. These are the elite of the world that have the most busy schedule on the planet and the most demanding schedule on the planet that fly around the world all the time. And yet over a hundred of them are going to get together and they're not going to discuss policy. And if you believe that, 
then I'm pretty sure that you're watching MSNBC or some variation thereof. Because that is the furthest thing from the truth. So let me go back into the economic hitman part of things, and then I'm going to expand this, because this is just one fraction of it. It is a very small fraction. I mean, it is a, it, it, it's a big piece to the puzzle, but it's a small fraction of our problem here in the United States, and that's what I'm trying to get to. So here is the next clip, and I just got a notification that my battery is running dead, so I have to go get my charger. So didn't mean to elaborate that on there, but um, that was just what was crossing my mind. So here's the next clip from um, John Perkins' um, documentary film. Ecuador for many, many years has been ruled by pro-U.S. dictators, often relatively brutal. Then it was decided that they were going to have a truly democratic election. Jaime Roldos ran for office, and his main goal, he said, as president would be to make sure that Ecuador's resources were used to help the people, and he won overwhelming by more votes than anybody had ever won anything in Ecuador. And he began to implement these policies to make sure that the profits from oil went to help the people. Well, we didn't like that in the United States. I was sent down as one of several economic hitmen to change Roldos, to corrupt him, to bring him around, to let him know, you know, okay, you know, you can get very rich, you and your family, if you, if you play our game, but if you, just, if you continue to try to keep these policies you've promised, uh, you, you're going to go. He wouldn't listen. He was assassinated. As soon as the plane crashed, the whole area was cordoned off. The only people that allowed in were U.S. military from a, from a nearby base and some of the Ecuadorian military. When an investigation was launched, two of the key witnesses died in car accidents before they had a, a chance to testify. A lot of very, very strange things that went on around the, the assassination of Jaime Roldos. I, like most people who really looked at this case, have absolutely no doubt that it was an assassination. And of course, in my position as an economic hitman, I was always expecting something to happen to Jaime, whether it be a coup or assassination, I wasn't sure, but that he would be taken down because he was not being corrupted. He would not allow himself to be corrupted the way we wanted to corrupt him. Yeah, and so, once again, there you, there you have it. You have, your options are to sign the paperwork or die. That's what you get. And once again, these are private corporations going around and offering these large loans through the IMF and World Bank. And they make it seem – and then in his, in his movie in a, no, or excuse me, in his book, Perkins talks about how his job was the chief economist. And what he would do is go over there and fudge the numbers. And if he didn't fudge the numbers well enough – then his superior would say, what happened to your other projections where you had like 20% growth? These are only 17%. We needed to make it look like that they're going to have 20% growth, so this is an easy sell. And he was selling uh, energy solutions. So he would go over and show them how if they built power plants that here's what would happen and you would have an exponential growth boom you know, for you know 20% over the next 20 years. So you'll have absolutely no problem paying these these loans back, which he knew was an absolute fraud, but he was just um, he was mad at the he was mad at life is what he talks about in his book. He was just one of those guys that I want to make millions of dollars, I want to travel the world, and I don't care how I do it. And then he slowly developed a conscience over time and and realized that 
if he doesn't come out and blow the whistle on this thing, then it's going to keep going and it's going to destroy everybody. And it's going to destroy his daughter's future. And I think that that's where he really understood the impact of what he was doing around the world and why he came uh, why he came clean. So I've got two more clips of this. So that's going to be another um, – these are going to be a longer segment, so I'm sorry, guys. These are going to be 10-minute um, clips but or five-minute clips apiece. So I'm going to expand a little bit, but we're going to be running up against it because I do want to spend the last half hour um, covering the, the criminals locally. And talking about um, how uh, Jay Carney says that, hey, this is um, – none of these are scandals. These aren't scandals. Who, who said it was a scandal? So here's the next clip from um, uh, John Perkins, and then I um, might have to go to something else after this. Omar Torrijos, president of Panama, was you know one of my favorite people. I really, really liked him. He was very charismatic. He was a guy who really wanted to help his country. And when I tried to bribe him or corrupt him, he said, look, John, he called me Juanito. He said, look, Juanito, um, I don't need the money. What I really need is for my country to be treated fairly. I need for the United States to repay the debts that you owe my people for all the destruction you've done here. I need to be in a position where I can help other Latin American countries win their independence and, and, and be free of this, of this terrible presence from the north that you people are exploiting us so badly. I need to have the Panama Canal back in the hands of the Panamanian people. That's what I want. And so leave me alone. Don't, you know, don't, try, don't try to bribe me. It was 1981, and in May, Jaime Roldos was assassinated. And Omar was very aware of this. Torrijos got his family together and he said, I'm probably next, but it's okay because I've done what I came here to do. I've renegotiated the canal. The canal will now be in our hands. He just finished negotiating the treaty with Jimmy Carter. In June of that same year, just a couple of months later, he also went down in an airplane crash which there's no question was executed by CIA-sponsored jackals. Tremendous amount of evidence that one of, that one of Torrijos' security guards handed him at the last moment as he was getting on the plane a tape recorder, a small tape recorder, that contained a bomb. It is interesting to me how this system has continued pretty much the same way for years and years and years, except the economic hitmen have got better and better and better. And then we come up with very recently, what happened in Venezuela in 1998, Hugo Chavez gets elected president, following a long line of presidents who had been very corrupt and basically destroyed the economy of the country. And Chavez was elected amidst all of that. Chavez stood up to the United States, and he's done it primarily demanding that Venezuelan oil be used to help the Venezuelan people. Well, we didn't like that in the United States. So in 2002, the coup was staged, which there's no question in my mind, in most other people's minds, that the CIA was behind that coup. The way that that coup was fomented was very reflective of what Kermit Roosevelt had done in Iran, of, of paying people to go out into the streets to riot, to protest, to say this Chavez is very unpopular. You know, you, if you can get a few thousand people to do that, the, television can make it look like the whole country and things start to mushroom. 
except in the case of Chavez, he was smart enough and the people were so strongly behind him that they overcame it, which was a phenomenal moment in the history of Latin America. Iraq actually is a perfect example of the way the whole system works. So we economic hitmen are the first line of defense. We go in, we try to corrupt governments and, and get them to accept these huge loans, which we then use as leverage to basically own them. If we fail, as I failed in, in Panama with Omar Torrijos and in Ecuador with Jaime Roldos, men who refuse to be corrupted, then the second line of defense is we send in the jackals. And the jackals either overthrow governments or they assassinate. And once that happens, when a new government comes in, boy, it's going to toe the line because the new president knows what will happen if he doesn't. And in the case of Iraq, uh, both of those things failed. Economic hitmen were not able to get through to Saddam Hussein. We tried very hard. We tried to get him to accept a deal very similar to what the House of Saud has accepted in Saudi Arabia, but he wouldn't accept it. And so the jackals went in to take him out. They couldn't do it. His security was very good. Um, after all, he had one time worked for the CIA. He'd been hired to assassinate a former president of, of, of Iraq and failed, but he knew the system. So in 91, we send in the troops and we take out the Iraqi military. So we assume at that point that Saddam Hussein is going to come around. We could have taken him out, of course, at that time, but we didn't want to. He's the kind of strong man we like. He controls his people. He could, we thought he could control the Kurds and keep the Iranians in their border and keep pumping oil for us. And then once we took out his military, now he's going to come around. So the economic hitmen go back in in the 90s without success. If they had had success, he'd still be running the country. We'd be selling him all the fighter jets he wants and everything else he wants. But they couldn't. They, they, they didn't have success. The jackals couldn't take him out again. So we sent the military in once again, and this time we did the complete job and took him out and in the process created for ourselves some very, very lucrative construction uh, deals. We had to reconstruct a country that we essentially destroyed, which is a pretty good deal if you own construction companies, big ones. So, you know, Iraq shows the three stages. The economic hitmen failed there, the jackals failed there, and as a final measure, the military goes out. Okay, so just to put an exclamation point or underline what he was talking about right there, um, during that clip I pulled up a Time Magazine article back from November of 2000. And, what it's, and the title of the article is, Foreign Exchange, Saddam Turns His Back on the Greenbacks. And I'll just read the first paragraph. Europe's dream of promoting the euro as a competitor to the U.S. dollar may get a boost from Saddam Hussein. Iraq says from now on it wants to it wants payments for its oil in euros despite the fact that the battered European currency unit which is used which is used to be which used to be worth a bit more than a dollar has dropped to about 82 cents and Iraq says that it oh excuse me and Iraq says it no longer accepts dollars for oil because it does not want to deal with the currency of the enemy. And once again, I'm going to link to all these articles that I covered today on the website, wearenotcattle.net. So you can just go there and just look for the show posts for today and just click the hyperlinks and it will take you to all of these articles that I'm going to cover. So I have one other clip that I think is very, um, very important. And then once we get through this clip, then I'm going to 
branch out into why we are in so much trouble through privatization. And in that way, we've really created an empire, but we've done it very, very subtly. It's clandestine. All the empires of the past were built on the military, and everybody knew they were building them. So that the British knew they were building them, the French, the Germans, the, the Romans, the, the Greeks, and they were proud of it. And they always had some excuse like spreading civilization, spreading some religion, something like that. But they, they knew they were doing it. We don't. The majority of the people in the United States have no idea that we're living off the benefits of the clandestine empire, that today there's more slavery in the world than ever before. And then you have to ask yourself, well, if it's, if it's an empire, then who's the emperor? Obviously, our presidents of the United States are not emperors. An emperor is someone who's not elected, doesn't serve a limited term, and doesn't report to anyone, essentially. So you can't classify our presidents that way. But we do have what I consider to be the equivalent of the emperor, and it's what I call the corporatocracy. The corporatocracy is this group of individuals who run our biggest corporations, and they really act as the emperor of this empire. Um, they control our media, either through direct ownership or advertising. They control most of our uh, politicians because they finance their campaigns, either through their corporations or through personal contributions that come out of the corporations. They're not elected, they don't serve a limited term, they don't report to anybody. And at the very top of the corporatocracy, you really can't tell whether a person's working for a private corporation or the government because they're always moving back and forth. So, you know, you've got a guy who one moment is the president of, uh, of a big construction company like Halliburton, and, and the next moment he's vice president of the United States, or the president who is in the oil business. And, and this is true whether you've got Democrats or Republicans in the office. You have this moving back and forth through the revolving door. And in a way, um, our government is, is invisible a lot of the time, and its policies are carried out by our corporations on one level or another. And then again, the policies of the government are basically forged by the corporatocracy and then presented to the government. They become government policy. So it's an incredibly cozy relationship. This isn't a conspiracy theory type of thing. These people don't have to get together and, and plot to do things. They all basically work under one primary assumption, and that is that they must maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. This process of manipulation by the corporatocracy through the use of debt, bribery, and political overthrow is called globalization. Just as the Federal Reserve keeps the American public in a position of indentured servitude through perpetual debt, inflation, and interest, the World Bank and IMF serve this role on a global scale. The basic scam is simple. Put a country in debt either by its own indiscretion or through corrupting the leader of that country, then impose conditionalities or structural adjustment policies, often consisting of the following. Currency devaluation. When the value of a currency drops, so does everything valued in it. This makes indigenous resources available to predator countries at a fraction of their worth. Large funding cuts for social programs. These usually include education and health care, compromising the well-being and integrity of the society, leaving the public vulnerable to exploitation. Privatization of state-owned enterprises. Oh, this yeah. means that socially important systems 
can be purchased and regulated by foreign corporations for profit. For example, in 1999, the World Bank insisted that the Bolivian government sell the public water system of its third largest city to a subsidy of the U.S. corporation Bechtel. As soon as this occurred, water bills for the already impoverished local residents skyrocketed. Oh. It wasn't until after a full-blown revolt by the people that the Bechtel contract was nullified. Then there's trade... Okay, I had to cut that short. But you get the picture. And remember what I said at the beginning of the show. That privatization of the water supply is actually going on all around the world. And it goes on here in the United States. See, I didn't get to expand on this earlier, but now I can. The rich billionaire that I didn't look up his name, which I should have. In Texas, actually owns one of the largest. He owns the land that one of the world's large or the U.S.'s largest aquifer sits on. And under Texas law, he calls it a uh, sanctuary, a um, environmental sanctuary. By the way, so he basically used the law in his favor in order to get what he wants. Shocker there! A bunch of rich people using the law to manipulate um, who can control things. So what he did was. He bought this land, made it a sanctuary, and now, under Texas law, whatever water he can get to, it's his for free. You heard me correctly. The water is his for free if he can get to it. So that means that if you can get to the water, no matter where the water is, as long as it's going through your property, you can sell that water at a profit. And he anticipates making over a billion dollars on water. Once again, this is a super rich tycoon that has figured out the way to manipulate all these things through government. And you wonder why we sit here and talk about privatization and all these other things and about the dangers of privatization, especially when you're talking about natural elements to our society. Water, air, food to some extent. We're talking about the privatization and the and the government subsidies in the corn market. How that more than sixty percent of what you eat has some form or variants of corn in it. So, if you look at it that way, we're we're in a really big, challenging situation. And what other things are being privatized? Well, one of the big things that I would say that is being privatized is the prison system. Now, I know that sounds very odd, but if you look at legislation all around the United States, there are private companies like Wack and Hut and other uh, and other institutions that actually own these prisons, these, you know, federal prisons. And so what they do is they go and make deals with local municipalities, and this is all on record, so you can start page it or whatever you want to do. But um, please go double-check me and try to prove me wrong, but you won't because it's all there. These privatized prisons have deals with local municipalities that say that if you keep our prison population at, um, I think it's 90% – Occupancy or higher, talking about it like it's a damn hotel or something. If you keep us at 90% occupancy or higher, then we're going to give you grants for your police force. 
And that's the way it works. If you wonder why cops arrest you for drinking and driving, if you wonder why cops arrest you for just the silliest things now, it's because they're incentivized. Not on the actual level that the police are there, you know, doing the actual enforcement, you know, the quote unquote law enforcement, which they're enforcing um they're enforcing corporate law rather than the constitution, but that doesn't matter when you live in the corporation of the United States. We are the business empire of the world. And so now we have a, a new revenue stream for the corporatocracy, and that is the private prisons. That's why they will not legalize marijuana. That's why they will not decriminalize drugs. They need the nonviolent offenders so that they can get their occupancy rates up because it's all a program. It is a program to get you into the system. It is a program to get you on the reservation. That's why there's the big demonization if you if you try to to plant your own garden. That's off the corporate reservation of the Monsantos and all of the other GMO producers around the world that need your revenue stream so that they can survive as, as survive as their corporation. That's why you're demonized if you want a second amendment because that messes with the privatized prison population because if the people can protect themselves then you don't need as much law enforcement. Therefore, you won't have as many people getting arrested for petty crimes because people are, will be policing themselves and protecting themselves. So there won't be any law breaking. There will be just ticket writing. There won't be any of this you know, breaking and entering and then you've got to call the cops and wait seven minutes. There won't be any of that. This is a very, very large program, and it all centers around money. That's why you see libertarians get very upset when we talk about the private Federal Reserve because we know that having a private bank issuing the currency and credit and thus giving out chicken feed to other corporations to incentivize them to enslave a population, whether it's the third world or our world, they are incentivized, these corporations, to enslave you. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's just the facts. And it's getting crazier by the moment. So now that I have about 35 minutes left, I do want to get into some of just the regular news. And that's going to do it for, for that synopsis on the the United States empire for for the time being. I will expand on it from time to time. But that's what I want you to understand. Privatization of all of these larger corporations going around and doing these things and then using government as their shield – and governments using the private corporations as their shield, it's a two-way street that doesn't work out any way for the people. So transitioning off of that, I think I have a caller here, and um, I think it might be Matt, but let me pull this caller up. Caller, are you there? We're about to jump into the we're about to jump into the news of the day. So caller, who who we got on the line here? It's Matthew. Hey, Matthew, what's going on, man? Matthew from the Journalistic Revolution, everybody. I, I appreciate you being able to jump in. I, ha I had your co-host on, uh, on the podcast the other day, but uh, just trying to do some cross-branding for you guys. So how's it going this morning, man? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, just uh, taking care of some errands, so I thought I'd take a break and check out your show and, uh, and uh, give you a call in and, and, and kind of comment. I actually wanted to um, discuss, you know, you you look at all these, you brought up in um before about the um 
I think it was either you brought it up or it was in the clip about uh, they had like a, the privatization of the water. Was that you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that was and me. The, and the yep. country mm-hmm. revolted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that was. A, they made a documentary about that. I think it's called like Water Wars or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if you if you look at our country and everything that goes on, and how passive most Americans are versus other countries where they just get out in the streets and they go crazy. Look what happened in Iceland mm-hmm. and Spain. And, and then I look at, uh, and I don't, I haven't vetted this source yet, but I'm looking at this article from Wednesday, March 27th, 2013, mm-hmm. um, from World Public Union, inventor of ADHD's deathbed confession. ADHD is a fictitious disease. And well, that, we well, medicate... No, I, I think that that was pretty spot on because usually when you had ADHD, I, I was one of the kids that could have been di- diagnosed with ADHD. You can just ask my parents. I was a little scatterbrained as a kid. But that's not because I wasn't a focused, cogent kid. It's because I was a freaking kid. Like I wasn't fully mentally developed yet. If you have yeah. somebody that just somebody that has a lot of energy and just bounces around all over the place. My, my friend's got a... Um, He's got an eleven-year-old and a, um, I think she's seven now. But the seven-year-old bounces all over the place, and you've got a five-year-old. I mean, that's not that's not them being abnormal. That is that is the default for somebody around that age. Well, I think I think what a lot of people fail to re- realize is, and and this is part of the problem with our, our government-run school system, is different children develop at different times and ages, and and, mm-hmm. and we expect them all to just sit calmly and in this classroom amongst other kids who are sitting calmly and and maybe they haven't reached the same level or point as these other kids. So we have to have something to ex- explain it, mm-hmm. some uh, disease or Or uh, terminology. Condition. We have to have a term or we have to have some blanketed statement that we can put all of these, like you said, the people that yeah. don't progress as fast, we can put them all under this blanketed term. I mean, you got things like restless leg syndrome. Like, what is that? Like, how about you, your biology just means that you don't sleep well at night. You probably need to stay up a little bit later. And, you know, unfortunately for me, like, I get up early in the morning and take my son to school. Mm-hmm. But I don't fall asleep till about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning most nights unless it catches up to me and I just crash. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, you know, I'm not going to start taking some medication where the, the what is it, the... Uh, not the symptoms, the, uh, oh God, this happens to me way too often. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the side effects of the pill are worse mm-hmm. than the actual condition. You know, oh yeah, if you take this pill, you might be able to sleep well at night, but you're going to get depression, diarrhea. Uh, right. My, fa- I think my favorite one is the, um, the, the fungus, get rid of your yellow toenails, but then you're going to have, you know, diarrhea and constipation and, Leaky anal itch and all sorts. Oh of yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then, but what, what's amazing, and that's that's the um, that's the medical industrial complex, basically. And and one of the yeah. things that I I'm slowly starting to learn, because I, I heard it a long time ago, and I, and I heard it from Alex Jones, and you know I always want to go vet Alex Jones's stuff because he gets into some of the very the very bizarre. But every time I go and research what he's talking about. of the time, it comes out to be just like what he said, or actually worse. And he had a gentleman on his show yesterday talking about a um, talking about a documentary that he produced that goes into foster kids and about how 
obviously these foster homes work. The more kids you get, the more funding you get from the government, and then they have all these little handlers that are there for each kid. Like each kid has about 15 or 20 handlers. But the mm-hmm. real coup de grace on this stuff was the fact that the more psychotropic drugs that they could put the children on, and these are children taking psychotropics, you know, the ones that have been involved in every mass murder that we've ever had in the United States, but the media will never cover it. Yeah. They they have an incentivized plan to reward these people for putting these kids on psychotropics. And the reason that I think is that if you keep the population dumbed down, and this is, I don't know, this is kind of a conspiracy quote-unquote theory, but it's not really because if you go and watch any of Charlotte Iserby's stuff about how the deliberate dumbing down of America, and you can actually see it through the test scores, you can see it through how we're falling, and you see it with all these stupid programs with No Child Left Behind and all these things, but I digress off of that. But what you see with all of these incentivized people is that is that it's going to destroy the culture because you're not going to have anybody that's going to be smart. You're basically creating dumb consumers, which we already are to an extent. We are the consuming capital of the world. And what happened right after 9-11, they told us, don't let the terrorists get us. Go out there and buy and shop and don't let them destroy your American way of life. I never understood how the American way of life, Matthew, was to consume – have you well, ever understood I mean, that? No, I, I understand it. I, I don't agree with it. I understand it because it was basically um, it was brought up through uh, right after um, World War II um, and right after the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically it, it's what this nation was turned into. And now, you know, when you go when you're talking about dumbing down of the 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 nation, that's that was driving to my point is. We just sit on our thumbs as a nation and just watch our government do all these atrocities all around the world. And we just make excuses for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to get back to the the um, consumption point, but no, I wanted to touch more about what we're talking about with ADHD and all these other mm-hmm. drugs. We're drugging mm-hmm. kids. You know, nobody pays attention to politics anymore. Um, nobody uh, holds anybody accountable. They just kind of sit there and they watch their uh, American Idol, which even before. I became quote unquote awake. I thought it was the mm-hmm. dumbest concept and dumbest show in the world. No, um, it's just a big it's just a big talent show. Yippee. Like we've never yeah. seen that at like the Qantas Fair or anything like that. You know, <laughs> come on. But it it's basically is what's been going on in this nation for many years and you can even add the consumption part into it. Uh it was it was go out and buy, go out and build and we're gonna make this nation great and it was all about consumption and you look into the eighties when um, right after like the seventies and the seventies was, was a really, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of the eighties as a mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. but I do a lot of research and, and mm-hmm. you look at the seventies and the seventies was a really horrible time. Oh, the late seventies was really bad. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah. And, and what happened in the eighties, I actually watched a documentary on this on TV with my dad and it was just this huge turnaround of like, Jane Fonda videos and, and Walkmans and, and and a lot of products coming in from and it all of a sudden products just started flying off the market. The economy started turning around and and then you got things like uh uh Glass Steagall being um repealed by what, four presidents now? We've got uh 
So yeah, Clinton. Clinton was the Clinton was the last one with the giant overhaul for that. You know, thank you, buddy. Yeah. And then he talks about his surplus, which it's like, okay, so if you combine the two largest banking sectors, of course you're going to have a, a fake surplus. Good job, buddy. Well, the problem, even even if he had a real surplus, and that's what sent us into the re- recession. It's what I try to make people understand. Mm-hmm. If you know anything about debt and the economy, mm-hmm. um, if you want good credit. Um, you have to have, and if you want, in, in this nation, based on the way our credit system is run, mm-hmm. if you want to have good credit, you have to have some debt. Yeah. And when you, people are like, well, you had a surplus. Well, yeah, that can be a good thing and a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. great. We had a surplus. But if 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 our country wasn't showing any growth, mm-hmm. eventually people were going to stop spending. They were going to start holding on to the money because they're going to start panicking. And, and and that's why you see things like recessions. Now, uh, I mean, we could go on. We could go on this sure. whole day about regulation. Well, I think and how I think I think that you're a conspiracy theorist telling us that we we shouldn't consume and that you know that that the government is not all powerful and that anything that comes out of surpluses or negatives or anything that they say. I mean, here here here's a clip from Jay Carney, and this is why I say you're a conspiracy theorist. This is a clip from Jay Carney that I just pulled today. So enjoy. Think you, first of all, did you ever think you'd have to deal with three scandals like this at the well, same time? I I, I I dismissed the premise, the idea that these are scandals. One is a total concoction by Republicans mm-hmm. on the first hand, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the other. I mean, it depends on on, on the IRS issue. Absolutely mm-hmm. inappropriate behavior. Uh, wrong activity by personnel by the IRS, and action uh, needs to be taken, is being taken, and will be taken. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So um, yeah. Don't talk about the fact that you guys were tapping the phones, and don't talk about the fact that you guys had a stand down, and don't talk about the fact that you guys literally went after Republicans and Tea Partiers, and you actually even had John Stewart come out and harass you guys about that. Listen, when the establishment starts turning on you, which John Stewart is part of the establishment to an extent. When you have people yeah. like that turning on you, dude, it is about to get it is about to get nasty. And you coming out and using this freaking double speak, Jay Carney, you know, go get go get bent, dude. You you can't come out and tell us anymore that there's no scandal. Scandal? What do you listen? Listen, there's no scandal. Everything's fine. You know, just like um, I was telling my wife the other day. I don't know if I brought this up the other night with you because I had about one glass of wine too many on your show. So hopefully we all didn't sound too. <laughs> Too crazy, but um, anyway, the the thing that got me was after all of this stuff comes out with the FBI and the Benghazi stuff, um, Bush – or excuse me. Oh, my god. That's, that's how bad it is. I think that it's Bush, but it's not. It's Obama. Okay, so Obama comes out with David Cameron, and they get up in front of the press, and they say, okay – we got a lot, all this stuff going on, and they're in a room full of literally like 150 press people, and they're like, okay, you guys get one question. Not one question each. Yeah. You get one question. Good luck. Hey, this isn't controlled media. This is a free press, everybody. This is complete freedom right Yeah. Here. Well, I think, you know, me and Robert actually, you know, we covered the, for one, uh, and I don't know if this is conspiracy truth or conspiracy myth, but I, I, I believe the FCC is controlled by the CIA. That's correct. Uh, from uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, from what from what I've all seen, yeah, that's they are and right then, in they're right in line. And to think that you know, guys, to think that any communication, I mean, to think that any communication that the CIA or the NSA is not going to be involved in some way, shape, or form, you're you're just being a child. Don't be a child. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at that, and then you look at the fact that um, what ninety four, ninety six percent of all 
print, radio, news, television, any kind of organization that has any kind of uh, entertainment value is owned by six major corporations who are yeah. actually owned yeah, they, by two. Yeah, they went from – I think they went from like 25 in – and this might yeah. be an under – that might be an under – gross underestimation. 25 in the 80s to now six, and like you said – it's like I said before, GE's got their hand on pretty much everything on the planet. Yeah. And then, hey, and they pay zero taxes, so there you go. I mean they're an international company. They're – once again, you have the structure, and I wish you guys could draw this little pyramid in your mind. Put yourself um, at the very, very bottom of the pyramid, obviously, and then above that, you put your little government, your local government. Above that, put your federal government. Above the federal government, put the corporations. Above them, put the banks. Above the banks, put the IMF and the World Bank, and above that, you have the International Bank of Settlements, which is a – I believe that's a Rothschild-created um, Rothschild entity. But then again, that would be conspiracy theory to say that whoever controls the currency and credit of the world doesn't care who makes it. So I was, oh, no, wait. Lord Rothschild actually said that. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it's funny because – it's funny that you mentioned the Rothschilds because there's a large portion of our history books that are just edited. I mean, oh, everybody knows that. No, that's conspiracy <clears throat> theory. They tell us everything that we need to know in there. How come I never heard of the Kazarian Empire? I mean, even in college classes, you never hear about this empire. I take humanities, and you hear about all these philosophers and all these great um, different civilizations, and you hear and you take history, and you never hear about the Kazarian Empire, which did exist. No, that's and, conspiracy and theory. Up. No, that's conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm serious, man. If you talk to these people, there, and and I'm glad that you called in because. I was doing a um I was doing a very serious show and and once again like I say everybody you have to have some humor in this stuff because it is just absolutely yeah. so bonkers. All right, so go ahead man. I'm sorry I I quit well, interrupting the the conspiracy thought criminal. So continue with your your thought criminal logic here. Well, just just a real quick uh uh side note. You know, Robert and I, you know, I towed the line of the conspiracy theory theory a little bit more than he does. Mm -hmm. Uh what we both agree on is, is with a conspiracy theory, unless we have actual proof of who's running it, mm -hmm. we might believe a lot of the facts behind it, mm -hmm. but we will never get into the conspiracy of who's actually doing it until we know the proof. No, that's so exactly that's right. We, so, I mean, what, what would you say about the education system in America that's you know run run by the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller, and the Carnegie Foundation? I mean, that's pretty much what you were alluding to, right? And get into, like yeah. you said, the empire that has been excluded – in, amongst a lot of things, excluded from your textbooks, yeah. and I talked about that before, that Barack Obama, do you remember this during the campaign that he said that he wanted to um, not teach history back Army past World War II? Hmm? Oh, okay. Yeah, he uh, said no, that. I, 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 no, I'll, I'll try to pull that up, but go ahead and, and continue, and I'll try to pull up that article that I was just talking about. Well, no, I mean, you look at the, and, and then you look at the fundamental, the, you know, and I'm a Christian, so I, I get into tons of arguments with a mm -hmm. lot of Christians, and I think we, we have to back the nation state of Israel, and even going biblically, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to back an actual standing city. Because if you if you study the Bible and you know the Bible, you know that Israel doesn't get its city back until after Christ returns. So, since the forties, and you and you look at the Kazarian Empire, and you know that the Rothschilds came out of that empire as converted Jews, and you look at um, and this is all conspiracy theory. Uh, and you and you know that they changed their name, and you know what they did in Europe, 
when uh, Napoleon lost, and they mm-hmm. came back to England claiming that Napoleon won. Mm-hmm. And as soon as people uh, they started uh, the the uh, stock markets, they started selling off their shares like crazy. The Rothschilds were buying them up, and then the news came back that Napoleon lost. These guys were instant millionaires or no, they owned it. They owned everything. They owned yeah. the government. They owned it all. That's what they did. That's what they're doing over in in Europe right now. Is they're like, all right, yeah. we're going to bankrupt everything, and then we're going to. Buy it up for pennies on the dollar. You guys have got to understand that these people are ruthless crooks. They do not care yeah. about you. They are not there to hold your hand and say, "Gee, I really hope you make it in this life." You know, this is we're going to help you out. This is not a helping hand situation. This is a domination situation. Continue. And this and this is all information stricken from. I mean, just learning about the Kazarian Empire. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing to, to to dabble in the the corruptness of politics when teaching the youth and putting that in the history books, which I think I'm going to have to self-teach my son, but even leaving out so much as an entire civilization and empire that actually existed mm-hmm. goes beyond uh, it goes beyond conspiracy. But mm-hmm. then you look at the the contract that they had with the British about uh, reclaiming the land of Israel, mm-hmm. and then you read verses Revelations two nine and three nine where it even says, "Now this is supposed to be an entire book warning of the end times, not." just letters that were written to churches back in the day. No, this was supposed to be, these letters that were written to churches back in the day about mm-hmm. the coming end times were predictions of the future. And mm-hmm. it says Revelation 2.9 and basically Revelation 3.9, basically uh, so, similar verses but still different, basically warning of the fake Jews, the synagogue mm-hmm. of Satan. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, it's funny, it's because we just got defeating Hitler who was uh, basically wiping out an entire race of people trying to, and then we mm-hmm. turn around in 1948 and go wipe out a whole bunch of Palestinians. Mm-hmm. You know, like pushing them off their land. We're like, oh, well, who cares? The Jews just had it. The Palestinians, you need to make some room. So we're just going to push you off and, and, mm-hmm. and cause mass genocide. And and then over the last, what, 60 No, but if you're, years, if you're anti-Israel, you're you're a terrorist, dude. I mean, don't be no, anti-Israel. No. Come on. I'm, I'm not anti-Israel. <laughs> uh, I believe in a different type of backing of Israel, like, you know, it says in the Bible, you back the nation state. I believe the nation state of Israel is is spread out amongst mm-hmm. the the entire earth, and I'm supposed to, the people, because you, and I've watched videos, you look at um, Ahmadinejad, and he comes mm-hmm. out and he says, look, I'm not against Jews. I'm not against, I'm against the regime, the Zionist mm-hmm. regime that currently resides over Israel, mm-hmm. and when he makes the statement that they need to be wiped off the face of the earth, I don't believe that he's like I mean, he even said in interviews, he's like, we're survivalists. We're mm-hmm. not going to take our one nuke that everybody says we're trying to make and go up against nations that have hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of nukes. That right. would be suicide. Right. You know, I would entirely wipe out my entire nation of people for, for my pride. And then you, t- and you, and then you look at um, uh, Jews, uh, Hebrews and Jews that are coming out in support of Ahmadinejad in, 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 in saying that they're against um, the Zionist regime in Israel, and you listen to the there's there's people in Israel that refuse to join the army and are risk going to jail because they re- mm-hmm. they refuse to uh, follow suit with what they believe to be against Jewish 
beliefs. Listen, and if you, I, th- I think yeah, you're I mean, a conspiracy theorist. The fact that they want to go over there and, and bomb Syria and say if Syria retaliates that that's terrorism and that they're going to just carpet bomb the crap out of them. I think that that is just complete conspiracy theory. Well, and what I really, well, what I really think is, what I really think is absolutely phenomenal is that the American public doesn't understand what the real relationship with Israel is, and it has a lot more to do with military strategery. And I don't, I think I just made up a word there, but it sounded really cool. Strategery. That yeah. is a Bush military word. strategery. You just used a Bush word, strategery. God, that is, hey, that is a Bushism, isn't it? Yes, All right, it so is. I just. Yes. I, I just added validity to Bush, everybody. So their strategy <laughs> of having an, 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 a base over in Israel and just using them as a as a satellite for the empire is is one That's of the true. other things that that I get really upset about. It's like, oh, you don't you don't support Israel? It's like, listen, I I, I support nation states. Like you, it's I, I guess I'm an isolationist. I'm like I, I would like to actually not have a, a, a police state where I live in. That would you know let's start yeah. there first, and then we can worry about yeah. other countries. You you have it backwards. You got to remember that the 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 Rothschilds and the nation state of Israel owns our debt. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. We so are once again, going up the conspiracy ladder and actually knowing who actually owns your debt and who issues your currency is conspiracy theory. Well, if you, you have to reverse it. Mm-hmm. We don't own Israel. Israel owns us, and it's not about having a base over in Israel. It's about how we push our weight throughout the entire land of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. At the whims and the wisps of uh, the Israels uh, uh, of Israel, the, the Zionist regime. Let me let me be clear on that before I get mm-hmm. called an anti-Semite. Um, that happened earlier this week. It infuriated me. Right. Um, but but if you look at you, you know, and you can go farther, mm-hmm. which countries still don't have a centralized bank? No, once again, conspiracy theory. Libya didn't have one. Look at how well they turned out. They turned out great. Iran doesn't have a central bank. They're looking good. Oh, Saudi Arabia doesn't have one either. We'll never go invade them because we got them in so much debt. (laughs) Hey, we'll take that oil for T-bills, guys. Good work. And we're going to devalue the crap out of that stuff. So thanks for the free oil. Appreciate it. But going back to Syria, you look at Syria. Back um, six, seven months ago, me and Robert covered this. There's a huge conspiracy going on there because Syria actually had the president of Syria had a 90% approval rating amongst its citizens. Oh, we no. watched. Listen, yeah, we watched. He's the bad video. guy. Al Qaeda is the good guys, dude. Come on. Yeah, well, they're the bad guys, and supposedly we need sometimes. I guess according to the United States, we need to support the bad guys to overturn the even more bad guys that are actually good guys. Oh, Ann Coulter but, said that in, a, in an interview uh, versus Libertarians. Sometimes we have to fund the radical jihadis to get stuff done. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, go ahead. I keep interrupting. This is just too fun. That's why we pay Congress. Sometimes we have to fund the radical. Oh, my God. It's, it's go sick. There. It's sick. Go ahead, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, All right, no, so I mean, Syrian, he had 90% approval rating, Yeah, and he's a yeah. he's a soft dictator. He's not out there you know, chopping Christians' heads off like the um, – like like the Al Qaeda, like the CIA funded Al Qaeda guys are. Well, we covered the video on this, um, but there was actually there was a guy who I think he worked for either CNN or BBC, and there was video proof of this guy staging mass killings and staging mm-hmm. fake bombings. In oh, are you talking about the one where he he told the guy? Have you seen the one where they actually pulled it from CNN? But they and you guys might be able to find this on YouTube somewhere. But I I promise you this existed. They actually read a piece for – it was either CNN or like the New York Times or something where 
they talked about how, well, this guy was captured, and now they're going to give him a bomb, and unless they, unless he goes and you know suicide bombs this location for you know for the jihadis, then uh, they're going to kill his kids. And they promoted it like it was a good thing. It's like, yeah, well, we give him the bomb, and then if he doesn't go blow himself up, then we kill all his children. Everything's fine. No, you... no, what I'm talking about. No, I never saw that. Link that no. to me later. I will. Well, what I'll I'm see if I can about... pick it up. Go ahead. It was this guy, he was walking amongst all these dead people, and he was, like, showing them and how the Syrian government was doing this to their own people. And then there was, like, another video that leaked, and it was, like, them setting up the stage. These same people who were dead just seconds later are now, like, thumbs, giving thumbs up, showing you, like, you, you can see all the blood on them. They're all got smiles on their face, and their eyes are all open. They're just are you trying to water. tell me that CNN would stage something? Because they didn't stage that <laughs> one guy on the soundstage, and I linked this. You, know, you guys check it out. We are not cattle TV. I, I link it as one of my favorite videos. The CNN anchor acts like they're re- under bombardment, and they're on a freaking soundstage. In Iraq. With- yeah, and yeah, they got fans blown and everything. It's just absolute yeah. joke. I mean, listen, I had an easier chance of getting to that guy, which I live in Atlanta. I could have driven 15 minutes to the soundstage had I known when I was a, when I was a child, driven to the soundstage and been like, hey, what, so this is Iraq, huh? And it's kind of quiet around here. But, I mean, when you but, see all of this stuff going on, man, when you see all the manipulation and everything like that, what do you think that it signifies that the power structure is just kind of losing losing their hold on – on what I like to call the uh, the womb, the collective womb of the American public, where we all just sit here and think that the mainstream media is there to inform us, they're there to keep us enlightened, and they're there to tell us what's really going on, not understanding that they are just a propaganda arm of the corporatocracy and, and the government itself. Well, see, here's the thing is, is and I think, I can't remember who said this, uh, if it was Robert or or somebody else I was talking to, but... The, if you want to use the the NWO conspiracy global elite, um, you know if you want to use it's them doing it, and you believe that what what I believe is they're doing it up front in front of your face, you know hidden in plain sight theory, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that backfires when you have social media and you have people with cameras in their phones, et cetera, et cetera. When you have this global network of information that can spread so fast that you you know, yeah, it worked when nobody could pay attention because you controlled everything. But once you put the control back into the people's hands through social media and information that just goes at the speed of light, I, I like I make the argument. People are like, well, you know, it, you, the Constitution didn't work the first time. What makes you think it'll work the second time? Small government didn't work because what do you mean? We didn't even know, get a chance to implement any of those things. By 1913, we were owned by a private bank. I mean, we didn't get a no. chance to issue our currency and credit. I mean, come on. You look at the Bank of Philadelphia, I think is what it was cool. called, which was the first mm-hmm. bank that was actually set up, and it was a nationalized bank. We had incredible growth, and then they're like, ah, no, let's I'm, just privatize it. I'm just telling you what other people said. What mm-hmm. My argument against that, though, is the flow of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, everybody's like, well, we need to have this voluntary society. Well, you know, I agree philosophically. It'd be a great idea, but the problem is tribalism. Not to mention, you have to get mm-hmm. 6.7 or 7 billion people to agree because if mm-hmm. you're a voluntary society in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, another country is just going to say, well, I don't think you need a voluntary society. Yeah. So you have to really get the entire world to agree on a voluntary society. It's a beautiful philosophy, and I have absolutely nothing against it. But 
I often make the argument that you still kind of need a standing army, and some people might call me a status for that. Well, that's no, no, fine, no. But, but the, I mean, that's just being that's just being real. And you know, the voluntary, the yeah. voluntarist, and I'm a voluntarist, like you said. If you're looking at pure voluntarism, I say great because it, it would solve a lot of um, a lot of challenges. But the one thing that you're always going to run into is, listen, I don't want a voluntary society with these lazy slobs we have here in America. I do not want that yeah. because nobody's going to do anything. They're going to sit around, and I'm going to be volunteering my butt off, and these guys are going to be sitting around trying to do like the collectivist thing and say, well, it's not really my turn to do that. Well, it's not – and then they'll make it about – once again, they'll make it about them. And we have to get people out of their coma to realize that the individual well, – it's what has – you have to be responsible for you, the property that you own, which is you. You have to be responsible for that, and you can't let government do stuff for you and create this artificial womb for you because it always ends up bad. Well, I, you know, and I agree. And if it's going to happen, it, it, you know, if a voluntary society is ever going to happen, it's going to – it's not going to be in my lifetime. It probably won't even be in my son's lifetime. We're probably talking 100, 200 years down the road as philosophies change, as, inf as information travels. But this is where I make the argument. If we could get to the the government down to what it what it was meant to be about mm -hmm. five to ten percent of what it is, mm -hmm. if you're always pushing for that voluntary society, mm -hmm. but all, the most you can get is five to ten percent, mm -hmm. you've succeeded. You have held the government at bay. You have your standing army, and they are there to protect the individuals, not a democracy, which we were not set up to be. Mm -hmm. And then, and if you take that philosophy and you believe that wholeheartedly, that if you can, and with, and with the way the information travels so fast today, you can hold the government more accountable than you were mm -hmm. able to 150, 200 years ago. See, I make the argument that our country did not start going downwards until it wasn't 1913. No, 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 no. It was it was after World War II when we started to see the real. No. You, well, I mean, what, where where it do you think that the big turning point was? Because I think it, I think it's the FDRs and the um, and the Wilsons of the world that started us on this progressive path that pretty much led away from the Constitution. And you, you and I are in line on this because I say on my show all the time, it's like, hey, let's just start with the Constitution, yeah. and then we can figure out where we want to go from there. But it, 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 it at least try that instead of trying it whatever it is we're trying now. There was a point in time when politicians didn't go to office to get paid. No, they, they went there to paid. serve their term for the summer, and then they would uh -huh. go back and work their real jobs. Yeah, yeah. and their families would cover – and they would only work two to three months out of the year, and they weren't paid. The minute we started paying politicians is the minute this country – because you got rid of the reluctant leader, the guy afraid to leave his farm, afraid to leave his law firm – Mm -hmm. afraid to leave his home because he didn't know how his business was going to be run without him there, mm -hmm. to the, hey, I can make some money at doing this, and I can pass legislation that benefits me to make more money. Mm -hmm. That, you, eventually you went from hiring the reluctant leaders to the, the sociopaths, the mm -hmm. corruptible, the guys who wanted power. And that's where the minute we started paying our politicians is where I believe is where this country started going downhill. And it's such an and easy fix too. It's such an easy fix. It's just term limits. I mean, then you get somebody in there that's only you know, and they've actually had bills introduced in the House about this. You know, you you get somebody on term limits in there. You get you get three terms as a um, as a House representative, and you get two terms as a senator. Mm -hmm. Both of them, you know, both of them equaling out to twelve years. Now you're done. Now you you can't, get rid you of can't, you, 
You can't have the Diane yep. Feinsteins and people that go in worth two million and then now they're worth like a hundred and something million and they mm-hmm. say that they made. Oh, I just made some good investments. Good investments. What the hell? Who is your who, who's your financial yeah. planner? Uh, how are they not making trillions? Exactly. Now, and and then you go beyond that. Like I just got a letter in the mail, and I don't know how these people keep sending me crap, but it was like we're suing Obama. And it was Michelle Bachman and all these different state reps. And I was like, wait a minute. So you got a bunch of millionaires, millionaires who have passed legislation, who have basically made themselves millions of dollars by setting legislation and uh, having the ability to make themselves millionaires while in office. And you're going to come to me asking for 20 bucks to sue Obama? Mm-hmm. Screw you. No, come on, Pay man. yourself. See, no, you no, you need, Obama, be, you need to be – you need to be – listen – one thing that I've learned about the so-called Tea Party movement, and I'm probably going to offend a bunch of people here, but Tea Partiers, you might as well just change – the majority of you change your names to Reaganites because that's what you are. Yeah. You are not and Tea Partiers. You are not Libertarians, and I, I don't think that you understand what you're saying. It's like, oh, we're not with the Republican Party. We're – we're Tea Partiers. No, you're just the Republican Party of the 80s. Don't act like you've created this newly found uh, ideal, ideology. I mean, you're exactly what Reagan ran his platform on. You limited government. You know, the most nine feared words in the entire English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I mean, that's what you believe. You don't go into the fact that, hey, maybe we shouldn't have a monetary policy run by a private group of banks. Maybe we shouldn't have international diplomacy where we start you know, funding all of these countries around the world and subsidizing them through corporations so that we can get our will passed. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, I, hey, buddy, I can tell you're running out of time, and I want you to be able to close out your show. Well, hey, uh, I appreciate it, man. I, I, oh, I thanks for the call in. Plug your stuff really quick, and then uh, let let everybody know when you'll be when you guys will be on next. Because, uh, man, your show is a lot of fun. You guys get a lot of good callers in there, and people that are fired up about liberty, and it's just fun to hear. So, go ahead and plug your well, stuff really quick. I'm Matthew Dalton with Journalistic Revolution. Me and Robert, we have a show tonight, actually, from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. here on Blog Talk Radio. And depending uh, on how much also- wine I've had, I will call in again. Uh, we uh, You can also go to our website at www.journalisticrevolution.com. You can use those same keywords, Journalistic Revolution, to find us on YouTube and Facebook. And we have a lot of different diverse content on our website. You can actually f- see all of our videos from there, uh, articles written by some of our contributors. And uh, please check us out and continue to listen to guys like We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'd like to plug him because he's, he's actually very entertaining and does a great job doing his show. Thanks, man. Thank you, I appreciate I, I appreciate the uh, the not so shameless plug right there. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> All right, well, you have a, have a good one, man. I know you got uh, stuff you got to get done, but thanks for popping in. Always good to talk with you. Good to talk to you too, man. Take care. Yep, you too. Bye. All right, that's going to do it, everybody, for the podcast today. Um, sorry, I didn't get to all the stuff that I wanted to get to with the with the news, but hey. Um, we got much more coming up around the bend. Check me out. Uh, I think I'm going to try to set the shows up for Thursday and uh, Tuesday. And I'm going to start running the shows at night. So I'm going to start at 9 o'clock and running from 9 until 11 on Tuesday. So look for me next Tuesday night and look for me next Thursday. Websites are wearenotcattle.net. The YouTube channel is We Are Not Cattle TV, and follow me on Twitter, We Are Not Cattle, the number one. And once again, everybody, we are in a battle for humanity, and it is time for you to wake up and find your cojones, and let's get out there and beat the corporatocracy, beat the big banks, beat everybody, and let's restore freedom around the world. Doesn't that sound like fun?
Take care, everybody. In your heart.